If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. We are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one whose orcish rage left him at the tender age of six, Jordan. And I'm the one who's still, to this very day, full of fury and anger, Travis. <laughs> Comes home every day punching walls. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. Smashing your expectations with a bloody war club for incredible games. <laughs> Speaking of violence and anger. Yeah, we got a theme going already. We're going to dive into half-orcs today. But before we do, we felt it necessary to address a massive misconception we see play out a lot due to an implication that has kind of followed half-orcs since first edition. So in first edition, orcs were evil monsters. They needed bad guys, so orcs were them. Orcs were pig-faced, rampaging monster men. Evil, plain and simple. Yeah, it was pretty simple. Early editions of D&D had heavily implied the creation of half-orcs, but were not explicit in their creation. They just left it open for interpretation. They left a lot of room for seriously unsavory assumptions to be made. They never denied it. They never really leaned in or leaned out of this whole implication that's kind of stuck with half-orcs ever since. So in retrospect, earlier D&D was not particularly woke. Newer editions have made some strides. They've kind of, yeah, they've figured out ways of kind of moving away from that. But the reason we wanted to address this and kind of discuss it is we hear it a lot when people make new characters. So we just wanted to say that half-orcs can come from anywhere. They can come from any means of a long lineage of half-orcs. They don't necessarily have to be from where you would assume they would come from. Stop assuming that. So as a, as a bit of a side note, Jordan and I are of the firm opinion that a D&D game should never tackle unpleasant story elements at a table unless, one, the entire group has unanimously agreed that they want to, since it would not represent the typical escapist role-playing fantasy which is kind of what we're all here to do. Yeah. And two, that it acts as a catharsis. If you are going to tackle this, that it acts as some kind of catharsis for when the players, as heroes of the story, set right evils presented in the campaign. So totally, you can do it, but do it freaking carefully because, I mean, there are lots of stories of DMs just going off the rails yeah. with some messed up storylines that not everyone's on board with. So just talk to your freaking players. Ultimately, it's up to the group at the table. But this is another reason that those session zeros are crucial to Absolutely. discuss this. If there's discomfort or there's sensitive stories that a DM wants to tell. But yeah, session zero. Talk it all out. Anyway, in this episode, we wanted to delve into some of the ways that cultures and groups of half-orcs can add some really interesting story elements. I love half-orcs. I know a lot of people like playing half-orcs because they kind of represent that typical go-get-em adventurer. 
yeah, you want to be a badass, and there's nothing more badass <laughs> than a half-orc. Than somebody that can be angry and run into the battle and make rash decisions and get bonus damage on their criticals and things that the half-orcs get specifically. And you can't kill them. They're super tough. They've got dark vision. Oh, what's not to love about half-orcs? So taking a step back from making an actual character, how is this going to affect a society? That's what we want to dive into in this episode. There's a lot to unpack there. What would be the result? Let's talk about our first couple of segments. So first, we have the Archives of the Ancients, where we're going to delve into some real-world history about similar things that we can draw inspiration from for creating orcs and, and fleshing them out. And then we're going to go into a strategy stateroom where we're going to discuss how these real world things would affect societies. And this is where Travis and I just come up with our ideas based <laughs> off of all of it. Tons of theory craft. And then we're going to wrap up with Morden's Forge, where we actually created a table uh, that will help people create a half orc. All right, let's hop into the Archives of the Ancients. This is the Archives of the Ancients where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. So similar to the various ways that we've approached some ideas of government in the past, half-orcs come from such diverse backgrounds that the government and laws would be pretty diverse too. We found it a lot easier to do the Dwarven episode <laughs> because they're kind of homogenous. Not no disrespect to dwarves, but they're they've got a real aesthetic going for them. Yeah, a real theme. Or so do orcs, but half orcs start to blur the lines a little bit. Like you don't know where they could have really come from because their their backgrounds could be so varied. And that would probably lead to some pretty wild differences in different approaches to societies and cultures and things like that. So we wanted to focus on some of the traits that they may inherit from an orcish side that would really differentiate like a culture. So the four that we kind of chose to focus on were their shorter lifespans, the wild, we're not going to call it aggression, we're going to call it passion. They have wild passion. Half-orcs and orcs are a lot more fun when it's not just anger. They're not yeah. just pissed at everything. Angry, violent orcs are passionate about war. <laughs> They're really good at it. Orcs are happier. Orcs, are they love more. They get sadder. <laughs> All of it. Their physical traits were a big one that we wanted to play into because obviously, yeah, with that physical trait, there's going to be some differences in culture. And then their various origins. Let's start at the top with their shorter lifespans. So a lot of the races of Dungeons and Dragons live for such an unimaginably long time to my tiny human brain. But half-orcs, they live about 75 years, which is shorter than even D&D's version of human lifespan. Yeah. So they're among the shortest lived. The candle that burns brightest burns shortest. Hardest and angriest. Long <laughs> <laughs> it just burns. Uh, so, yeah, like some of the other fantasy races, you've got dwarves clocking in at 300, 350, and then you've got elves that are going to be in and around 700. And they have this approach to life that seems to be really kind of casual, like, oh, people come, they go, they live, they die, but I'm going to be around a lot longer. I can work on projects. I'm going to binge, binge watch all of Netflix. <laughs> 
from start every to finish. net flick <laughs> yes and the other thing to keep in mind is that humans we have a pretty standard lifespan we're going to live from 50 to 90 somewhere in that range of the majority of us so all of us don't really have a different perception of time like fantasy races might but when you have such a wide gap when you live in the same world as another creature that can live to 700 years old things change a little bit uh lifespan envy yeah <laughs> lifespan envy <laughs> yeah no doubt so half orcs could be really consistent with their rules and goals and keep it firm because you gotta stay in line or you'll die even quicker yeah or they could change so rapidly because they're trying to figure things out without the benefit of that long lifespan. Yeah. They're trying to evolve their way of thinking quicker than an elf who's, again, just sitting around for a while before he does any deep thought. Iteration, creativity, that passionate side of them could totally come out where if if you had different groups, they might they might separate entirely. Like you'd see some pretty radical differences maybe even between close allies, you know, but two different groups of half-orcs if they ever decided to bunch up like that. Yeah. I think it'd be neat because they do live such a short amount of time. Their wisdom is more limited. Like, there's not a lot of wisdom to go around. So the older half-orcs might put themselves at risk for the sake of the younger half-orcs to keep evolving their ways mm. of their society. So You've got typical cultures that would appreciate older wisdom that kind of thing and while these half orcs might be older and wiser they have a shorter lifespan left so they would act and half orcs are probably a lot hardier at older ages than other races too Ooh, yeah good point keep that strength up so this is actually a true story the skilled veterans corps when faced with the fukushima nuclear disaster in japan there was one older guy yatsuru yamada he said you know what we don't have a lot of time left this isn't bravery this is logic by the time that radiation poisoning and sickness will set in we'll be long gone so 72 pensioners volunteered to clean up the nuclear disaster at Fukushima. So that's kind of a noble, badass thing to do, to be like, listen, I don't have a lot of time left. Let me take this one. Yeah, if there's a threat to the group, then maybe they go out to face it first. And like you said, they're probably badass older orcs. Like, they're hardy AF. Yeah, and they don't sit around in libraries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this also comes up in nature in the form of bees. Freshly born bees out of the cocoons, they'll clean and maintain the hive when they're young. And then when they go into their second phase of life, they build, then defend, and spend some time doing that. And finally, they go into their third stage of life, where they're older bees, and they explore and collect pollen. They get out in the world. They know a thing or two about surviving in the hive, and they take their wisdom to the lands beyond. <laughs> so... If if they do leave the hive to go and collect pollen and something tragic happens to them, that effect isn't as deeply felt as, say, losing a, a younger bee. So they pack up their war axe and their battle picks. <laughs> Nobody make a half bee 
character. Okay. I don't think that anyone's <laughs> risking that right now. <laughs> so anyways, we thought that'd be a cool stages of life for half works as well. Yeah. All right. So let's get into their wild passions. It's established in fifth edition that orcish aggression isn't due in part to their inherent evil, but also to their dedication to Grumsh, which we think is the more interesting way to go. Totally. Grumsh is a warring god of the orcs that he's only got one eye, which is supposed to represent his lack of judgment. He just runs in and attacks. Yeah. So that's that's who the orcs follow. And that makes all orcs that follow him very pissed off at everyone and want to attack them. This is kind of how they've established themselves as the enemy of D&D. They're warlike. That's just how they are. They have a beef with everybody that isn't them. That's kind of why we have that D&D villain side of things. But like we were saying before, if, if you took an orc out of that environment, if you took them away from Grumsh, if they grew up with different kind of parents, they would still find that way to be really aggressive, but towards the things that they love, towards things that they're interested in. So they would just behave very differently. Yeah, they'd take that same passion and apply it to maybe going the opposite direction from that. You might have atheist half-orcs that are fervently against all this worship of these of big... Grumsh. Yeah, Grumsh or other gods even. You've got all of the orcs that you know you have a shared lineage with that you just hear stories of their warlike ways. And you'd probably go, ugh, Jesus, like, that's intense. I, I'm not so sure about that. But I still have all of this energy that I need to do something with. So I'm going to put that into swordsmithing. In ancient Greece, you could actually be accused of being an atheist. Socrates, the famous philosopher, was accused of being an atheist for not outwardly supporting the gods. He didn't say that he endorsed them. If you didn't support your state-sanctioned gods, you were in serious frickin' trouble. Just wasn't really feeling them. <laughs> yeah, just... whether he was just not not digging whatever he was laying down, um, you know, those Greek gods. I could see orcs kind of taking that aspect. If you lost that ability to believe in Grumsh, you know, it's kind of like the whole argument, well, you don't believe in God, then you can't believe in any of them. So would half-orcs find their way to just dismissing all gods yeah. and saying, yeah, no, this isn't for me. But since gods actually have more influence in the world of Dungeons & Dragons, I would almost think they'd, maybe half-orcs would see gods as these big, uppity, powerful beings, but still mortals. Yeah. In some sense, a lot of the gods in Dungeons & Dragons are mortals that somehow got ascended to godhood. So would half-orcs then maybe hold a grudge against them for that and be like, hey, we're going to take you guys down. Or they'll select one, maybe. We're yeah. going to take you down because we're tired of you lording it over us. <laughs> <laughs> we got skills. We got passion and fervor. Well, and there was even a time in Rome that Christians were considered subversive. And they were also persecuted as atheists. So even if a half-orc had their own god, in the world of orcs, if they didn't worship Grumsh, yeah. they would also be... You're you know, out of here. Yeah, that's nuts. Why would you do that? Yeah, if they didn't go along with that norm, uh, your half-orc that you're creating might, uh, might, might have been pushed out of, of an orc community. Maybe the orcs don't mind if half-orcs hang around. That's part of their culture. Sure, yeah. 
you're a half orc. Live with us. As long as you like one eye Grumpsh, you're you good. Better get into Grumpsh in a big way, or whatever angry god you. And if you don't, then get the hell out. Does he pack your little bag on a stick? You weirdo atheist. You go hang out with the bees. <laughs> your bindle stick. <laughs> yes. So we've talked about the different ways that religion could play into their ferocity, but vocations also could. They could get so intensely passionate about making one thing so good. Yeah, like they they need to put that somewhere. I mean, that's the fun of playing half-orcs, that you're intimidating and intense. So if you are playing that kind of role of non-grumpsh-worshipping half-orc, then you could put that into furniture making or <laughs> of course the uh, more adventuring skills yeah. like like making weapons or armor or worshiping a certain weapon that you've been building for your 30 of your 75 years or even even your relationships like a half orc would throw themselves into the fire to save a friend that they cared about that passion of doing so whereas you know, like we were talking about with the uh, with the elves, an elf might not do that. Yeah, an elf would say, "You know what? I've got another five hundred and fifty years left, of which I'm going to do some really cool stuff." So I'm, I'm gonna... sorry, party of adventurers, <laughs> I'm not going to help. I'm going to find another group of chumps. Yeah, to carry stuff for me. Whereas you know, orcs is just like live and die for the glory of being alive, of yeah. doing cool shit. Maybe they become ultra runners. <laughs> <laughs> ultra marathon marathoners <laughs> all right so speaking of marathoners let's talk about some of their physical traits and how that would affect them well they're strong hell yeah they don't have any physiological need for sunshine which yeah makes their livable climates much more diverse than the rest of these mamby pamby humans and elves <laughs> you can't see in the dark <laughs> how sad for you you need the sun or you get bummed out? <laughs> Orcs uh, don't feel a seasonal affective disorder? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> so yeah, they can live in the northern climes where it might be night for much longer. Yeah, like way up in the north, like when we were up in the Yukon and it stayed dark for 14 hours a day. You might not have as densely populated a places, but half orcs probably be just fine. Yeah. And they could even live places that are just like physically tougher to live. Not necessarily the sunlight thing, but it's just like more difficult terrain, swamps and cliffs. You know, with their ability to hold their own, just being physically stronger and, and tougher, harder to kill. You might also find them living in places where the local animals are super hostile. So they just kind of shrug some of that stuff off, whereas humors would have been moved on for a long time. Yeah. So there's a lot of communities in the real world that live in some pretty tough environments. True story. Like the Changpa people of Tibet, where they travel around in areas not great for growing crops, or similar to the Mongolian nomads. They have herds of hardy animals that can survive these conditions with them, and they rely on these herds for almost all their resources, like fur, meat, and milk. A lot of them do sheep because it gives them the wool on top of all of the uh, the typical stuff that you get from herd animals. And because they're nomadic, they're not growing crops because they just they can't stick around long enough yeah. to do that. So they're just bringing all their food with them. And they get really efficient at building homes that they pack with them. 
It's really quite impressive. I could see a half-orcs doing something like that, especially if you're playing in a world where they're not entirely accepted. Yeah, they're growing their collective knowledge about the world and meeting new cultures and taking new ideas. And Yeah. yeah. So since half-orcs might use a herd animal like that, and we are talking about a fantasy world. (laughs) (laughs) Are we? What kind of exciting animals could they use, even if it's not totally logical, but again... It would prove the half-orc's resilience that they can tame these animals that aren't normally tameable or are just bigger than what the average person would try to tame. Well, if you did have a clan of half-orcs or even just any kind of community of half-orcs that were that taking that kind of atheistic bent towards quote-unquote normal orcish life, you might have them raise the, uh, the aurochs, the like insano super tough battle steeds that orcs raise orcs are what like kind of like buffalo but beefed out and yeah they're like a cross between a bull and a bison they're just absolutely massive but orcs revere them as like holy they're just as tough and just as noble and just as honorable as far as animals go as the orcs are about their whole thing so they're they kind of see aurochs as level with them in terms of their nobility so they would never dream of eating them and so half orcs might (laughs) yeah if they were being divergent they might keep a stable full of aurochs and use them for meat and fur and all of that other stuff you got some badass uh, half-orc ranchers yeah <laughs> i play that character hop along there cowpoke <laughs> but if you wanted to get even weirder with it most of the creatures in the monster manual are not herd animals because they're predators in there yeah and you... <laughs> adventurers just going around killing sheep isn't very <laughs> <laughs> various kinds of sheep who's going to come up with a big book of sheep for a monster manual yeah but uh, if you want to dive into there for some different herds you could too. Things like bullets would be interesting. Like or half orcs would figure out some ways to keep them from tunneling. <laughs> from tunneling. Bull- bullets are those like hardcore tunneling creatures that'll just pop up. They're like land sharks. Yeah. They're all shelled out and yeah. Know, tough, big snappers. You could do owl bears. Yeah. They might uh, fight. You'd have to keep them separate. And then, of course, you could do other things that we would consider normal, but a little bit more badass because they're half orcs. So they could do massive sheep. Like bighorn sheep. Yeah, that are extra roided out because it's <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> or bison, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, when we saw those bison in the Yukon, like they are big. Yeah. They're huge animals. Tanks. So I could totally see half orcs just raising them as if they were cows. Or you, you could get into some different uh, cultures in D&D might frown upon this, but things like griffins or hippogriffs or even the very imposing basilisk, the lizard creature that turns you to stone. Maybe they'd blindfold themselves. <laughs> do they do they have a problem with worshipping Grumpsh when they pluck out a basilisk's eyes to make <laughs> it docile? They don't pluck them out. They just make them wear those uh, cones like dogs wear when they... <laughs> They just put really intense blue blocker sunglasses. And then when you don't like someone, you just say, hey, uh, check out this check out this lizard pet I have. Just stand in front of him. <laughs> Mirrored sunglasses. Sunglasses on the basilisk. <laughs> this is my herd of extra cool yeah. basilisks. <laughs> well, and then to kind of bring it all home, their various origins, like we were saying, they could come from a dozen different ways. 
but just some of the top ones that kind of came up in our our minds. They could have been the result of an era of strong trade and alliance with human barbarian tribes. I believe that's an idea that's been put forward in D&D at some point. Yeah, absolutely. They could, you know, the, going back to atheists, they could have just diverged and said, you know what, we're done with this shit. We're done with this really violent orc way of life. So the orcs would just go into any other society that would accept them and become part of it. Yeah, just integrate. Maybe half-orcs weren't the direct result of some pairing, but they were a type of either orc or human that's just been isolated for a very long time and has kind of well, evolved in their own unique way. That's really how you get human races, is, you know, they're, we were separated for a long time before we were able to come back together, and so we diverged a little bit. And so a half-orc might, like you said, not be the result of two different parents, but literally that's just the race of half-orcs, yeah. which I think is kind of implied now. Maybe the rest of the world would call them half-orcs because they look kind of like half and half, but yeah. really. Orcs don't thing. see them as even closely resembling them. You know, you look at them, look at them and say, ah, I don't see the resemblance. <laughs> it's like, you both have tusks. Just like Travis and I do when people say we look identical. <laughs> Because we're both bald and we both have beards and <laughs> we clearly look identical. You could play half-orcs as being from originally a group of orcs that was displaced a long time ago by a geological event, some kind of huge threat or war, and a human settlement or any kind of settlement accepted them. And now it's been generations and they're oh, just yeah. part of the culture. That's just the normal. Yeah. Yeah. And you could flip that on its head, too. Humans were displaced a long time ago. And the only group that was nearby that was close enough for them to make it was orcs. And for some reason at that time, the orcs decided that we can use these humans. We'll integrate them. Yeah, totally. Maybe they agreed to worship Grumsh with them or something. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some badass humans. And now you got splinter groups of half-orcs. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different really interesting ways that you can arrive at half-orcs and aliens sure <laughs> aliens yeah no you can you can arrive in a dozen different ways and you know you just think of different ways that it fits into the world you know whether you're a player or a dm how does this integrate into my world how do i establish more lore based on it and how are half orcs totally normal in this setting and how do i integrate that to the character that i'm playing yeah Cool. All right, so we're moving on to the next segment. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so for this Strategy Stateroom, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with our iterations. Now that we've done all the thinky thinks, we're going to pitch our idea of what half-orc government might look like. No more thinking, ever. <laughs> From a government perspective, I would imagine a response to their shared orc heritage of anger, aggression, zealotry, uh, to Grumsh, all serves as a constant cautionary reminder to half-orcs. Okay, so they're watching orcs being like, let's not go down that road, guys. Yeah, pretty much. You know, they're kind of acting and operating as pockets of separatists of you know, divergence in these kind of communities. So even if they're not in, say, an Orcish community, and they're not diverging there, whatever community they're in, 
they're likely the counterculture there too, mm. because they would see every other kind of government or any kind of zealotry for gods, even good ones like Palor, as like, whoa, maybe pump the brakes a little bit, because we all know where this goes. Well, yeah, but we're talking about them being super into it themselves, though, right? They find something to get super into. Well, sure. They might get super into running counter to whatever the majority do. So if there is anybody being persecuted within a city for some reason, they're helping them. Like they're going against the established government in any way they can because they see the dangers of doing that. That's what leads you to orcish uh, devotion to gumption, plucking out your own friggin' eyeball. Yeah. So they could operate undergrounds in areas that aren't welcoming or have strict theological or strict governments. They would be probably super welcoming if you are playing in a setting that doesn't necessarily welcome half-orcs or orcs, you know, that's got that bit of, you know, standoffishness. You're warlike. We've seen what orcs are like. They might get a little bit of that, but they're probably super welcoming in contrast to that. They're the Statue of Liberty for your, <laughs> bring us your tired, your weary, your broken, <laughs> however the hell that goes. Yeah, I like the idea of like an underground community that you would initially think that there's something like a thieves guild. They could be bad, sure. but they could be super good. Yeah, helping feed the poor and giving people safe houses when they are uh, being hunted by whatever law establishment is within a, a specific city they might be running that underground culture. I think that's really freaking cool. With a bunch of those aurochs, those big beasts. Yeah. Be like, we just got a pile of those in a pit down here. We can feed you. I would imagine they would want to stay pretty light on their feet, especially if they're running counterculture. You're going to want to stay mobile, probably smaller colonies. If they are all half-orcs or if they're kind of like majority half-orcs, you'd probably see colonies that are like 80-20, yeah, always at least 20% of someone else or something else represented yeah. that they've picked up along the way. Just because they are trying to be welcoming. Yeah. That's kind of like that typical fraction that is described uh, in a lot of the D&D books about specific cities. So they always talk about how like a city might be 60% human, and then they split that up throughout the rest of the fantasy races. In some of these smaller groups, you'd have you know, 60 to 80% have orc, but then the rest are people that are taking refuge with them or they're helping out to get back on their feet or whatever the case may be. You also might have the typical age discrepancy kind of flipped on its head where the youngest get to make the choices. So this goes back to that whole thing about the bees and the uh, the Fukushima plant thing. Since the, the younger of the group has the longest to, to stick around on this world and do the best they can with the time that they do have because they are short-lived, you would have teens to early adulthood kind of making the choices for what's best for the rest of the group. Because it's it impacts their future more. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Whereas the 60-plus crowd? They're off being badasses somewhere. Yeah, they almost retire from their duties in the community and they're your adventurers they're the ones going around hauling corpses on their backs and throwing them down at you in the city from their blimps jesus you <laughs> took a real left turn there <laughs> saying i'm it's here like, to where the hell are you going with this 
So in the Roman colonies, they're on the move. They dismantle and move when needed. They definitely have still mm-hmm. have that semi-nomadic feel to them that half-orcs have in uh, the typical lore. And I, I think it'd be neat if a half-orc wants to explore a new ideology, they'd be encouraged to start their own splinter group and go down that rabbit hole. Hmm. So you're more imagining that they would have a lot of different options you know, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, again, because orcs kind of serve as that cautionary tale of what happens when you don't let people kind of explore their own. You force them to believe what you believe. Sure. Yeah. So you're thinking that communities would diverge every time, you know, there was a difference of opinion, whether it's religion or or politics or anything else like that, that kind of a lack of fighting would happen they would just be allowed to diverge wherever they needed to and also in this i think that might come from the whole they're the shortest lived they're the newest to the ring they don't have thousands of years of history to draw wisdom from so they're kind of like scientists it's like dive into that and then if you feel like it come back and tell us about it interesting yeah or you'll die with everyone that you know and that's (laughs) Kind of a bummer, but (laughs) at least it's not happening to us. Yeah, and I suppose they would have kind of a different approach to that detachment. Like whenever they do diverge, it is just a, you know, we have this difference. Therefore, we won't stick it out. We won't stick around one another. We won't get really passionate at each other (laughs) with axes. You do your thing. We'll do our thing. We'll survive Yeah, because we have for hundreds and hundreds of years this is how we do things you just go a different direction and half orcs as a whole might think that's the best way to not conquer but just exist on a larger scale in this world that is so dominated by these other pre-existing long-lived yeah gotcha yeah no i really like that in the same vein of trying to learn from these wise races from their experience on the planet they might offer their groups of workers for dangerous jobs in cities because half-orcs are just stronger. They're more sturdy. They can get back up. Do what you do well. Yeah. Yeah. And then in exchange for that, give us some of your wisdom. Give us money. Give us goods. Give us food. Give us some wisdom. We get to learn and do and and see different things. Yeah. So you might even have these subgroups of half-orcs that have learned a lot from one culture in the world. So maybe... You've got these like super heavily armored half-orcs that do a lot of things like dwarves. See, and you were talking about half-orcs that are older being still pretty friggin' tough and they're going out because that's essentially their retirement kind of thing. So once they get old enough, now you've got this band of three to six really tough, really skilled laboring folk that are able to go in, do a job, Yeah, like you said, that kind of mercenary approach to, hey, do you need something done? We're adventurers, but we'll also do some hard work or we'll do this or that and lean into their strengths. Yeah. And if it was a dwarven community, they might see these people coming and offering themselves out like that and think like, oh, yeah, these guys don't mean much to me. I mean, I don't have an investment in half orcs. So, Mm. yeah, to dwarves, they're like, you're young, you're stupid. Get down there. Yeah. (laughs) But the half-orcs are... And it would probably be pretty lucrative, too. Because, again, if I were a dwarf, I don't want to lose somebody that's lived on this earth for 
500 years and has all of this knowledge. Yeah. I'll use a team of mercenary half-orcs, and the half-orcs get paid pretty friggin' well, and they can survive it. They're, yeah. they're just stronger folk. What about the way that they approach law, then? Like, if they were to have their own set of rules, how would those play out? Well, they might stick a little closer to orcs just because they want disagreements to be handled quickly. You don't see a court of law happening in in a half-orc community? In a specific one. In a specific subgroup, you've got <laughs> half-orcs that discover... all lawyers. They discover the fact that huge white wigs really help <laughs> your point come across. <laughs> <laughs> the slower, the better. I found that these really tight curls really help me <laughs> enunciate. Uh, but yeah, in the typical half-orc community, you might have a lot more fistfights and duels. I like that idea because even though like that's where that orcish, we've already talked about them being kind of counterculture, which is really kind of going against the grain of what orcs might be. So on the flip side, this is how they still establish a little bit of their orc heritage that, you know, why drag out a long, lengthy judiciary process when you can just get in there you know, knock somebody's teeth out and call her good. Call yeah. justice served. You know, who's <laughs> got the time? Out. We only live 60 years. Who's got the time to be angry and draw out a long legal battle? Yeah, and be pissed off at the other person for 20 years when you could just get that energy out now and shake hands. I could see it, yeah. So they probably wouldn't have as many rules to their duels, but if you wanted to actually play some of those out, they might gain the support of onlookers through various methods. Like showmanship kind of thing? Yeah, kind of before the fight. It's like if the more people you can get on your side, because it is kind of still related to a disagreement of some sort, kind of that gladiatorial thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many different rules you could do. Just shot for shot, last half-orc standing. You could do wrestling first out of a very <laughs> dramatic ring that's maybe raised or, you know, something like that. Yeah, like if it was a little bit akin to like sumo wrestling, it was just who could overpower who. Yeah. Who could add enough uh, heft and, and strength and weight. You could do first to draw blood, which in, in mechanics terms is something like half HP. Yeah. And if you wanted to get a little more tactical with it, Maybe a half-orc rule is that each combatant has like five minutes to set up the battlefield. <laughs> With traps? Whatever they want. They got five minutes. The other person's also setting up the battlefield. Interesting. But you just like, you bring some supplies to the battlefield with you. This sounds like chaos. It's a little bit uh, mental as well as physical <laughs> for those half-orcs that are into it. So would these be blood matches or is that reserved for deeper I wouldn't say these, these are meant to kill. Yeah, okay. Most of them anyways. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, on... they're there to slug it out and move on. Yeah. So what would what would happen if somebody, I don't know, say murder? In a half-orc community? If you're controllable enough, maybe they'd put you to work in their kind of phase one of life. So in serving their community. Okay. Yeah, if you commit a serious crime against that community, you either serve it in their stage one or even replace the role that the person you killed. Oh, I see. You take over wherever they were. Yeah. You were saying stage one, you're going back to the, the whole B thing. Yeah. I see. So if a half-orc had committed some kind of heinous crime, they wouldn't necessarily be executed, but instead dropped back. They have to complete stuff that they've already completed. 
and they don't get to go off and adventure and be a badass out in the world. Yeah, they don't get that retirement date where they get to go explore and do cool shit. I really like this idea of their grand plan is to just survive and live long enough by just being tough that one day they get to go be tough out into the world and not necessarily serve their community. And maybe they get to come back. Like, yeah, and share their experiences. That's where you get those adventures. The adventure in your D&D party is an old, grizzly half-orc that has served their community for however long, and now they get to go out and be adventurers and go raid some tombs and bring back magic items and things like that to their clan. All right, well, there's some weird ideas for you. Let's go on to Morden's Forge. This is Morden's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped into tools and weapons with the most incredible quests. Moradin's Forge, where we build neat stuff. We already did the intro, so this is enough. <laughs> Please tell me that's not our new intro. <laughs> what are we actually talking about in this Moradin's Forge? Well, we were talking about how it's always a little bit tricky creating a character. You can end up very easily creating something that's super cliche, um, but is overly you. It's your character. You created them. I don't know about you, but I'm not always feeling my most creative. So that's actually where tables come in super handy. I dig tables because you can't get cliche when you leave it up to the roll of dice. Yeah, love them. And if you don't decide to go totally random, I always love them because it's at least a huge list of ideas for me to put together in whatever way I want, but totally. So what we did was we wanted to think our way through basically genes. So you've got somewhere within your lineage as a half-orc, various degrees of other genealogy. Humanoids. Floating around in your blood. I don't know how genetics work. Well, in, in D&D, it's tiny humanoids in your bloodstream. <laughs> That's extra uber weird. But basically, you have very much like in humans, you have dominant and recessive genes. So what we wanted to try to do is figure our way through all of the different lineages that your half-orc might have. Orc, of course, being one of the possibilities there. But then if you're going to be, let's say, a dwarf, what takes over? Because you've got short dwarves and tall half-orcs. So which is the more dominant gene? How do you roll on this? The massive beard growth? Do, does your orc have just that unimpressive mane of hair? Or a half-beard. Or <laughs> shaved perfectly down the center. <laughs> you've done that, and that was extra weird. Thank you. Yeah, so we wanted to create a table that was kind of uh, akin to a character builder in a video game that has a lot of different options. So the way this works is essentially you choose your orcish trait and your other race that that really kind of comes from, that you get a lot of that genealogy from. And with that, you can roll on the table and you can kind of determine how strong some of those traits are that your orc will end up inheriting. And get a fun blend. Yeah. And then, of course, there's lots of different options there for, like, tusk type and what your tusks look like if you're going to get tusks. And spoiler alert, 
tusks are a foregone conclusion. That is the most <laughs> dominant of the orcish genes. So don't worry. There's no option where you don't create an orc with some cool freaking tusks. Tusks fight their way into the bloodstream. <laughs> There's tiny tusks in There's your tiny blood. tusk men. That you can shoot at. Like, Floating around in your blood. <laughs> it's a mutant weapon. <laughs> Anyways, you can, of course, find these tables on our Patreon. They are accompanying this episode there. And yeah, let us know what you think. Let us know what your half-work creations look like. If you use our table or if you just do something else. Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts? Where do half-orcs come from? And what does their culture look like? So thanks for letting us uh, bash you around with some ideas for half-orcs. Yeah, and talking about their government, there's going to be lots more that we can absolutely delve into with half-orcs, and we're looking forward to it because this really got us going. Yeah, we always start cooking on these uh, race episodes, and we look forward to coming back to them. So... Thanks a lot to Tabletop Audio for all of the sound effects he heard in this episode. And you can always follow us. Join us on our Discord server um, where we're just talking, goofing around, doing <laughs> stuff. Um, but also check out Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit. And you can find us on all of those at Hook and Chance. Hook, A-N-D, Chance on any of those different uh, socials. Thanks for listening. And play, play great, great games. games. <laughs> For the whole.